say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm here with Natalie Campos Goodman, who is the founder of Incentifine. Incentifine is the nation's go-to database for commercial real estate and home improvement incentives. Her clean prop tech startup is radically increasing green construction across the U.S., by connecting residential and commercial properties to the over $70 billion worth of incentives offered each year. Incentifying promotes green practices such as energy efficiency, water conservation, solar, uh, and electric vehicles, just to name a few. Natalie, so glad to have you here. You were telling me earlier today about how there's just different levels of incentives, and uh, that is part of what Incentifying brings together. Tell us a little bit more about those different levels. Yeah, happy to, and thanks for having me. Um, I guess it's kind of important to probably step back and talk about just how messy the incentive landscape is in the United States. And I think the best way to talk about that is to, you know, kind of think globally. Um, I'm a ex-green architect, by the way, so I got to green some of the most complex buildings globally. And I had so much fun traveling the world with an amazing architecture firm. Um, and I got to see just how far ahead the rest of the world was in green building, came back to the U.S., uh, landed here in Houston, which has such a diverse community, right? And I knew that the United States was one of the leaders in offering green building incentives, right? Or incentives that would promote anything to reduce energy or water consumption in real estate, right? Um, I asked a friend of mine who was also in the architecture engineering industry, hey, do you know, I just landed back in the U.S. I know that the United States offers all these incentives, where can I find the database? And I kept asking a lot of people that question and no one knew the answer. So here I am knowing that these incentives could really curate better conversations for me as an architect with my owners. And yet no one in the industry of experts knew where these existed. Uh, so let me kind of give you the lay of the land of where these incentives are provided or the levels, right? Uh, you have federal level incentives, you have state level incentives, mostly coming out of like state energy um, offices, conservation offices. Uh, you have county level incentives, <laughs> you have city level, you have utility, which is gas, electric, water. So five levels of government all offering incentives, no single database to house or make them searchable, right? Um, so anyways, I went on a journey to create that and, um, I'm sure you'll uncover in today's podcast how we're hundred percent an accident, but we're happy to take, you know, that torch and run with it. And when did that accident start? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess 2018. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I landed, uh, back here in Houston, went on that search. I'm not going to lie, you know, while I, th I had the concept, I actually wrote it down on the back of a napkin at an Indian restaurant. It was just, I said, <sighs> Who, who is going to – All good ideas <laughs> start with a napkin. Yeah, I was going to say at Indian restaurants. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I just – I thought to myself, if no one else can find this, how hard could it be to build a database, right? Here I've helped 
uh, green some of the most complex buildings globally. Mm. I'm like, what? what? A database can't be that hard. So kind of wrote down a few little tidbits, dropped the napkin in my backpack, finished dinner, um, and then went on a search for like the right people, um, Mm. which would lead me to my amazing team members and uh, John Rears is one of them. He's our CTO. And I think the, his coolest background is um, that he actually attempted to create this database with the Department of Energy before, but they went about it all the wrong ways. And I like to say that John knows all the wrong ways uh, to build this database. And the DOE blew through, I think it's $230 million mm-hmm. for our taxpayer money mm-hmm. to try and build it all these wrong Ooh. ways. But now he knows the right way. <laughs> and that's the way we're going about it. So mm-hmm. it started in 2018, but it would take months to find the team members. It would mm-hmm. take months to even create data standardization, um, our proprietary data model. Um, and it was, wasn't until about like 2019, 2020, right at the height of the pandemic, basically Mm -hmm. that we became fully commercialized. So, you know, perfect timing, right? (laughs) Um, I love everything about this because I, I think I met you in 2018 or 2019. Like it's a blur for me, but like at the city having the same conversations, people saying, tell me about your incentives for green building that would come up all the time. And our first answer was like, we don't do that. And people would then come back and be like, yes, you do. And be like, uh, okay. <laughs> and so like same thing of like trying to figure out where they are. And there's so many things. So before we talk about how what you're doing is so incredibly important, especially now, walk me through like how it actually works. What is your product? How could I use it? How could a city use it? Like, what does that look like? What are you guys thinking about? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, and a great way just to kind of properly introduce incentivizing, right? So um, our technology is our database, right? It's our data model. Um, our product is our actual data. And the way we sell our data is really two ways. Most property owners across the United States are going to find incentivized through their everyday prop tech software, right? If they don't subscribe to everyday prop tech software or software that helps them manage their air conditioning, their mm-hmm. water usage, um, those are the most common prop tech softwares, right, that we're in then they can come directly to our website. And the way Incentifying works is there's actually only one process that a property owner can leverage to successfully capture incentives. They have to know what to search for. And we have a curated survey that helps them search for things based on their home improvement project or their new commercial building or existing building you know, upgrade. So they have to search for it properly. Then they need to know what they're eligible for. We're the only database that can, thanks to our proprietary data model and data science, right, we can match make any property to eligible incentives. In other words, we're going to cut through all of the other fluff and show a property owner, here's what you actually can go after based on your income level, your location, your asset type, and your scope of work, right? Once people know what they're eligible for, then they just cherry pick what they want. They may Mm -hmm. see a solar incentive, but it doesn't mean they can afford it, right? Mm -hmm. They might find in searching for a solar incentive, oh my gosh, there's an incentive for me to change out my windows, right? Mm -hmm. And really tighten up my building envelope because I'm in a hot, humid part of the country, such as Houston, right? So um, it's just that level of awareness that we can provide this list of eligible incentives and really let property owners choose what's right for them based on their budget, um, timing, you know, all those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and I could advocate, I use the the product on, on one <laughs> of our projects and it, it was just uh, seamless. You, uh, there's there's a, a project manager who's assigned along with the process 
to kind of facilitate using the database and and putting in the applications that still come in after you you search for the right incentives and um, it's nice to be able to hand things off while you're worrying about you know the rest of the big project and it's just very smooth and I yeah. think it's a compliment to just the, the way you've developed the customer experience. No, I appreciate that. And that's yeah. probably, I'd say, our greatest value add is these apply services, right? Or application mm -hmm. fulfillment services. These incentives, uh, I like to compare them because I feel like most people can understand this. It's almost like doing college scholarships all over again, but you're in the middle of finals, right? It's mm -hmm. because you have, you're, you're right, Jason, you have this construction project and you need to oversee all of the nuances and variables that come with a construction project. You don't have time to be bogged down by these applications, which can be, you know, one page to 15 pages. And you need to work with your engineer, your architect, your GC to populate things. You need to go photograph stuff. So we have an apply services arm of incentifying mm -hmm. that once a property owner selects, you know, they cherry pick all the incentives they want. We can say, hey, you want us to help you with these applications, we're happy to do that. So, um, no, it's a, it's a really complimentary service and it came out of pure demand from our users. They, they would tell us in the early days, Hey, thanks so much. Incentify for showing me all these really cool incentives, but like, who's going to help me with these applications? Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't intend to have that service arm, but now we do. Yeah. And we saved enough money. Definitely earned my paycheck that year. So it was good. <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Uh, our savings, you know, we get asked, oh, what, what's an average savings for like homes mm -hmm. or commercial buildings? And it's a really tough thing because not every upgrade is the same. Not mm -hmm. every construction project is the same, but we ran the numbers regardless. So I'll, I'll happily share um, for a home improvement project, which we would define um, a vanilla home improvement project in the United States. It needs to be more than just changing out a washing machine. Right. So it's definitely mm -hmm. changing out some major appliances, perhaps a, a change of roof. Um, they can expect about 17% savings depending mm -hmm. on what they spend. Mm -hmm. So um, average home improvement project, including a roof, would probably be about $50,000. So 17% savings mm -hmm. is really nice. Yeah. Uh, for commercial, uh, the the spread is incredibly wide just because commercial assets can be a million square feet or like 10,000 square feet, right? So uh, we like to just put a more blanketed approach to that. And it's about Forty to fifty thousand dollars is what we were seeing across the U.S. Which ask any commercial property owner or developer if they want just an extra fifty k in their pocket, they're going to say yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially with inflation going up, right? And this is hugely important when you think about when you think about policy, right? The yeah. number one thing that when um, policymakers, when of cities and and government officials talk about energy efficiency, they talk about climate. You always talk about the savings, right? Mm -hmm. That is the um, sustainable thing to do for the environment, but also for you financially. Um, and so that being said, these are the things can, that can help move policy or in a state like Texas where we don't have, um, we don't have requirements. We don't have those overarching mandates, right? It's a carrot or the stick situation. You only have carrots. And so incentives are huge. Being able to find them, a very important first step Right? It is a very large state. There are programs all over. Even if you think about Houston, we think of us as one community, but we're actually a patchwork of, of like 13 different counties. And depending on where you are, depending on your utility, it's not always the same. Um, depending on your mud, like who you get your water from, there's all types of things that this is hugely important. And then having folks to help 
walk you through that process and help communicate the benefits again is a huge tool. And I know that that was something that the city of Houston was looking to and really couldn't find. And it was hard for us because we were like, well, no one wants us to put in that stick unless we don't have carrots. We are in the grocery store. We have no idea what we have, right? And and trying to find them. And so you guys, I remember that conversation. I remember thinking like, oh my goodness. Um, it was eye-opening for me to realize that there were so many places that we should be looking that we didn't know. And, and we did our best to put them together. And then now, years later, we have a whole new set, like a whole new section in the grocery store, um, thanks to the IRA and thanks to a lot of the new programs. So talk a little bit about that. And what does that mean for you as your your outlook on your product and going forward? Yeah, the, we get asked about the Inflation Reduction Act a lot. Um, I have, I think my entire month of February is going to be tied up in, mm-hmm. in those speaking events. And we're excited. We're stoked. Um, the passing of the IRA if you think about incentivized um, right before the IRA, we had found about $70 billion per year to throw at an $18 trillion problem. The $18 trillion problem is the fact that half of America's homes and commercial buildings are 40 years old mm-hmm. and have never been upgraded. Re- extremely wasteful, right? A huge burden to our existing and aging infrastructure. So we found this $70 billion we could throw at this $18 trillion problem. IRA bills passed. And it's allocating an additional 40, $400 billion, right? It has to be spent mm-hmm. in like less than 10 yep. years. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, the entire team, if you had us all in a room, because we sit across the nation, I'm sure all of us would have dropped our coffee the second that thing was passed. Mm-hmm. It's It was one of the most exciting acknowledgments that we all know real estate's one of the most polluting assets, 60% contributes to 60% of global greenhouse gases, Right. And we have all this money we can throw at this problem. Like, And now we're going to increase those funds. Um, we're stoked. Now, is it going to be an easy process? No, nothing's really easy. Mm-hmm. But we're happy to disclose. And what my talks, you know, coming up in February will also go over is that federal funds, especially on the residential sector, have already been allocated. So homeowners can expect some really nice tax-related incentives for their home improvement projects that they all need to be making, whether it's climate change that's causing unexpected improvements or just the aging, regular aging of a home, right? So those are the first funds that have been allocated. As the funds go past the federal level into the state and the county and the city and the utilities, it's going to get a little messier and it's going to take a little longer for them to hit something like our database, right? which does uh, coalesce all of these incentives. Um, and that's just a natural process. Um, I was mentioning that, you know, some states are going to do it really well. Massachusetts has phenomenal state-run programs. They're so well-established. I could see those funds going directly into those well-established programs. And the folks in Massachusetts are just going to get to take advantage of more money, which mm-hmm. is awesome. California will do it well, too. Again, they have phenomenal state-run programs. It's going to be difficult in a state like Texas. Um, we're a little more disjointed, and that's just the nature of our politics, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think what property owners can expect in Texas is, look, take advantage of the current funds. There's plenty of them. $70 billion is already available every year. Just start using those now. Expect those funds to begin trickling down in about one to two years. So. So what I love about this is that often the companies that we talk to and the technology that's being developed is utility scale, or it's still a couple of years down the road, and it may change the way our lives operate, but 
in my daily life, I won't be the one operating it. This is something that individuals have control over, right? Jason continues to go on this house journey. Who knows how many more incentives he's going to be using, right? He's he's going to be searching daily to see yeah. what becomes oh, yes. available yeah. and what he can take advantage of. And that is very important to our like collective climate action story. So I love it. And then also, you know, talking about Texas, talking about Cal- uh, California right now, this is one of those things where it's a climate initiative, it helps us reduce emissions, but it also improves your resilience. And so if you're talking about windows, you're talking about um, heat pumps, like a lot of the things uh, are both sustainable and resilient. And so that's another kind of selling point. It is hard to find and there will be new things, but to the folks listening, like this is really exciting to me because it it is something for everyone. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, property owners are now positioned to tell their state, local governments mm. where their market interest and demand for going green is. And our database allocates for all of that, right? That's that's sort of our, our phase one of incentifying was, let's just coalesce the, these incentives and make them easy to search, easy to use, right? That was kind of phase one. And, and we're about to complete that phase in about 30 days. Phase two is now handing over these analytics to state, local governments, because they work so hard on many of these programs, I'm sure, like you know, and yet have no visibility to the mm-hmm. utilization um, or how they compare to other states. I mean, think of all of the knowledge transfer that can occur if, you know, with these phase two products that we're going to put out in the next, uh, you know, 12 months where cities can compare um, flood mitigation strategies mm-hmm. using incentive programs, right? Or energy efficiency programs mm-hmm. or water conservation in a lot of the drought prone parts of the country. That's the kind of power we want to give to both the property owners and to the suppliers or the, you know, gut levels of governments Mm -hmm. that provide these incentives. And our phase two um, will allow that conversation to sort of happen in a digital space, which is pretty cool. And and so you're hearing there's a desire for benchmarking or is it against city to city or is it just internal benchmarking? (laughs) It's it's all of it. Uh, I won't disclose which cities, but um, we've had a few already come out. Um, They learned about us through some of their Mm. uh, real estate folks, uh, developers that are trying to bring job opportunities Mm. to cities, right? Mm. They said, well, how can you help all of our constituent base, right? Are from low income to those that are going to bring, you know, nice jobs. Um, so it, it's a little bit of benchmarking, but also what are these new innovative programs and how can I use the, these incentives to help me achieve goals of my climate action plan mm. or sustainability plan or resilience plan? Because many states are in a very reactionary position like Florida with, you know, the hurricanes that continue to bombard at California with a lot of the fires. So, no, I think governments are de- desperate for any kind of data. We want to be as transparent and helpful as we can. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of benchmarking that goes on, right? Yeah. Um, shame is a huge policy driver. <laughs> uh, the shame and like the the comparing of states, comparing cities, comparing yeah. neighborhoods that it happens at every level that you you mentioned like developers and um, when folks are looking at where they want to build another neighborhood they they pit city with city county with county and yep. they they lay them out and they say where is it the most advantageous for me to go and you that trickles down to like city sustainability offices that are not in the property development business most usually and so suddenly they have a whole new level of competition and having that information readily available is hugely helpful because you can then take that back and say, look, we're losing out. 
We're losing jobs. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. losing new residents. We might be losing existing residents because they're moving somewhere else because not only are they fancy, fancy schmancy neighborhoods, they have things like flood control, right? They're putting in yeah. um, better energy efficiency programs. So my home is going to be better insulated, more resilient, more sustainable, all of these things. So I'm just excited and jealous that it didn't exist when I was trying to put all of this mm -hmm. together, but it will be so helpful. No, thank you. And uh, we, we want to put it together as quickly as possible. It's it's such a, a slippery, it's like trying to hold a slippery bar of soap, right? It's just the data is constantly changing mm -hmm. and it should. Uh, if you think about it, technology is ever changing, right? Something new is coming out and I'm sure your podcast covers so, many, so much of this new, uh, exciting, clean technology that's coming out of right here in Houston. Um, we want our, our database isn't stagnant, right? It's meant to be dynamic to continue to promote this ever-changing environment, not only for the technology, but for the policies. And as climate change continues to just wreak havoc across the United States, cities especially are gonna have to be poised to address, you know, properties that are insured, properties that are uninsured, how to continue to attract a, a, ba a taxpayer base, right? Um, I, I feel for a lot of these state local governments, honestly, I, I can't imagine the complexity of weight that's on their shoulders. And I just hope that we can get to these next set of, uh, you know, phase two products and show them the market interest and demand for going green, show them the opportunity for how to leverage incentives to better achieve that goal and retain that taxpayer base while achieving, you know, sustainability goals or whatever it is that they're setting out. So I don't envy a lot of those positions, but we have our heads down working, you know, to mm -hmm. see how we can be helpful to them. Do you track the types of incentives that you see coming to the market? Absolutely. Like, do you see trends? Mm -hmm. Are there some things that are like more popular right now? I can think of some, but I'm curious because you look at the whole country. Yeah, that's an awesome question. Uh, so we have a, it's called a market intelligence dashboard and it's really cool. Um, the country will kind of light up uh, mm -hmm. and it changes all the time. So like if you select, mm -hmm. all right, energy efficiency, um, energy efficiency might be hot uh, on certain asset types over others. For example, hospitality, it's always going to be, I mean, the brightest color mm -hmm. of, you know, high activity. Um Multifamily, the same thing, right? Mm. Offices, not so much. A lot of folks are still trying to return to the office, mm -hmm. right? Mm. So mm. you had a huge change there. Um, and it depends what's happening. During the pandemic, our database, I mean, it glittered with um, activity for anything HVAC because property owners were in a hurry. How do I bring my um, people back to the office or school or university or whatever it was and make sure that the air quality is safe for them, right? So- mm -hmm. I think the really cool thing about incentives is that they can be applicable to a lot of our ever-changing needs. And I'd say the hottest incentives we have right now are all going to be related to housing. We have a housing mm -hmm. crisis. It's across the country. So uh, it depends what state you're in. You know, we can see um, home improvement lighting up like in, in Boise area where the market's incredibly hot. People are trying to rapidly fix homes to attract, you know, the, the best seller. You've got a ton of unfortunate home improvements happening across Florida right now, $100 billion worth of damage with Hurricane Ian, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, just it, it, it's a constantly changing landscape. But if I had to just put a pin in it today, I'd say it's anything and everything housing from single family to multifamily. Senior housing is an emerging um, 
incentive. We have an aging population. Yes, there are a lot of incentives for specifically mm -hmm. for senior housing. Um, and I'd say um, the one category to watch, water conservation. Mm -hmm. It has come out of, I feel like, nowhere. Um, many programs are piloted through incentivizing. You can only find them in our database. We're pretty stoked that folks trust us with that, right? And um, yeah, well, I'd say water conservation has been had a huge spike. The funding is still kind of lacking. I'm hoping the IRA funds will will kind of trickle in that area, but half of the country is drought prone. So if you think about it takes energy to pump water through a building or a home, you want to hit two, you know, two birds, one stone. Water conservation is where it's at. But so it's you just reminded me of a really big change that I remember like 2019 cities everywhere were focused on um, really large buildings, office space. What are we going to do? That's where all the people are. They're energy mm -hmm. hogs. Um, and then the pandemic happened and it was like you took all of our goals and strategies and actions and put them into a blender. They're still there, <laughs> but kind of like what came out on the other side is a different combination. And so I'm exactly right. Like it moved to residential because not only are people working from home, we were in our homes for a yep. long time. And then you layer on like we keep getting hammered by some form of climate change. Mm -hmm. And so like our homes are are suffering. But now we do also see that because as people are trying to go back to the office, trying to attract people back to the office, um, office space is changing and that they're all getting these amazing like um, remodels. Mm -hmm. Right. I I am jealous of some of the offices that I used to work in and I have seen them now. And I'm like, wow, it was not like that before. <laughs> and that's really interesting and and exciting, but also kind of gets to that strange nature of like, we really should do things now because the the earlier and the sooner you can prepare for these things, it's going to come later on. And you're going to be like, oh, I'm so glad I put in that uh, I have a friend who lives in California and they just waterproofed their backyard because nice. they live on a slope in a canyon. <gasps> and that canyon, like major flooding, major water coming through. And they just did that, you know, because they're like, we probably should do this. And she's like, that was the best investment we've ever, ever made. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting. And like the world is showing us why these things are important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of that resonated uh, with me because during the pandemic, hotels occupancy was down, right? Mm. They were the hottest uh, asset type with the most uh, renovations happening. Because what better time to renovate mm -hmm. and finally address all of these, you know, energy efficiency, water conservation goals than when your occupancy is down, right? So uh, they leveraged incentives to help kind of brace their pocket, I mean, mm. line their pockets a little bit, right? Their budgets were going to be extremely mm -hmm. low. Uh, they took a risk, but now they get to reap the benefits. So I think you're right. If if real estate can realize that there's a return, there always has been a return on investment mm -hmm. in greening a property or making it more resilient and sustainable, but do it now, get ahead of it because climate conditions are only going to worsen, right? And it's going to uh, it's like having that rainy day fun, but in your in your real estate asset, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's just now's the time to go for it. And we have, there's more money than ever. So we hope to get folks moving, right? So I'm always curious about now's the time. And you obviously didn't start the business today. You started it a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. And and there, there's a question of technology and markets in here. But why didn't incentivizing exist a decade ago? Man. And what's I, changed? I wish I actually knew other than my influence on starting the company, like why it didn't exist, it's one of those 
concepts when I get up and whether I'm pitching to, you know, investors or, you know, signing a deal with a new partner, it's like, I get asked that a lot. Why didn't this, why did this not, I have no idea. I was overseas working. I <laughs> was not even in the United States. Right. Um, so I, all I can think is that maybe folks just didn't know this much money was out there. Mm. Um, when we looked at the statistics, when we finally coalesced all the incentives and their value across the United States, we knew $70 billion was available every year to throw at this $18 trillion problem. We also found out half of it goes unused mm. simply because of lack of awareness. Mm. So perhaps that's the reason, you know, this database never existed is that I think there was a huge lacking awareness that incentives in this nature even existed, right? That there was that much funding. Um, now our, our competitive le landscape is increasing, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. I know most startups would probably be sweating. We want that. There's a lot of education to do on incentives. So we can't be the only ones, you know, with the horn in our hands. Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll take the timing, you know, now and continue to run with the torch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Houston? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it. So, so obviously you came back from, uh, being international and, uh, you started the business here. How did Houston support you starting your business? Yeah. So Houston's awesome city. Um, I, I have no personal ties to it. I mean, mm. I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, love my hometown. Um, I was just repatriated back here. Um, I actually, my last contract before I moved back to the United States was, um, uh, shell real estate. So I was helping to green, uh, shells, largest real estate portfolio across Asia Pacific. So they just happened to repatriate me here. And um, Houston's just so diverse, not only in its people, its culture, but um, what you have access to as far as knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a it's a very friendly city in the sense that I could go to the city of Houston. You know, how many other cities are just going to open their doors and say, come on in? We know you're new and you're a startup, but let's talk, right? Yeah, let's let's please, roll up our sleeves. Please come in. <laughs> I, I think it's it has that very friendly culture to mm. it and it's very open-minded and i think our diversity plays a huge part in that why we've stayed here um is I, honestly I, I love the city um greentown labs coming mm. here mm. was a huge seriously it was a huge part of retaining us mm -hmm. i was in austin every other week before greentown labs arrived mm. honestly because i didn't really have a home base as a clean prop tech startup mm. right Mm -hmm. uh, I could find that in Austin. I could find it in mm -hmm. Boston. Mm -hmm. I could find it, you know, in the Bay Area. I could find it in New York. Couldn't really find it here. But now that that home base is here, good luck getting a sleeve. You know, mm -hmm. we, we like it. It brings a lot of different uh, awareness, uh, you know, to incentivize as far as the upcoming technologies that we need to keep our database ready for as mm -hmm. well. So um, I don't know. I, I come back to the word just diverse culture here. Yeah. I remember when we first met, I think you were working out of the the station. Yeah. Yeah. A long yeah. time ago. So that was ancient history. Yeah. It's the ecosystem here has evolved a lot. And I think all in good ways, right? Mm. Um, and now it seems to have some real staying power. Uh, cause I don't go to Austin that much anymore. <laughs> well, and so one of the like fun facts about Houston that a lot of people don't know is that Houston is one of the top cities in the U S for like green buildings. Um, a leader in the department of energy's better buildings challenge, like 
Uh, Houston and Dallas are always like rivaling each other for the number of lead buildings, lead certified like space. And I know it's interesting to me is like you wouldn't think that. Um, and that when you look at the type of companies that are in those spaces, a lot of them are energy companies. A lot of them mm. are like traditional oil and gas companies. Um, but that's because they have really nice buildings. They're always building new buildings. And it's that competition, right? Yep. The competition to keep employees, to keep um, new talent coming in. And so that was always like a really big selling factor for the city when we're talking to those other tiers and being like, look, if these guys can do it, you can too. Like it's not that hard. It It's working for them. They do it because it's smart for their business. It's smart for their buildings. It's smart for their people. And I wish we had ways now to talk about that more. Like buildings are, it's a hard one to get people really excited about. During the pandemic was a, a strange time where people were like, please tell me more about building efficiency. Like, what can I do? People like Jason became mm. obsessed with like a DIY, like home renovation project. So um, I love that about Houston. And it's one of our funny little quirks that people are like, really? Be like, yes, look it up. Mm. <laughs> no, it is. It's an awesome city. It doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, green buildings or food, right? I think you've got... Uh, a wide variety of things to choose from, take mm -hmm. part in, learn from. So, no, the city's awesome. Yeah. What, what are you most proud of in the city around the innovation ecosystem? Oh, man. I, honestly, it's it's changing for me. I, mm -hmm. I think what I'm most impressed by is I'm traveling less, which is great. Um, <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but if if I could pull up my calendar for the pa you know past uh, three years – you'd see Houston was rarely on it. Mm. And now I think it's attracting some fantastic, you know, speaking events. Um, mm. And it's also just attracting better partnerships. Um, I can have meetings here, you know, because we now have groups or focuses, uh, in, you know, that pertain to clean prop technology, right? So I think I'm most impressed with having less of a travel schedule and staying home and knowing that staying home, I am going to get the best access to a network. Um, well, uh, I think, so one of the last questions I want to ask you is, uh, do you have a personal climate impact story? My personal climate impact story, I think is a story of incentive find. Mm. I, here I was, uh, I love my corporate job. I, I had no desire to leave it, to be honest. Um, I mean, to touch some of the most complex buildings, to live in a new country um, at least every six months. Uh, what, what a great job, right? Um, but to realize that 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 wasn't sustainable, that the change needed to happen, mm -hmm. um, that we need to be thinking about our built environment uh, as an architect who has an education in environmental design, look, um, who better to step up, right? Mm -hmm. Now's not the time to ignore the need that we have to green our built environment. Now's the time to lean into that. So yeah, yeah I think Incentifying is my climate impact story. Yeah, yeah. good. Do, do you feel like when you, when you think about the Houston ecosystem here, are there any gaps that, that we need to work on as a community? Gaps in the Houston ecosystem. I mean, I think there's always going to be gaps. It depends who you're talking to, right? I'm so if I'm going to wear, yeah. <laughs> so I think if I'm going to wear first a hat of a female founder, mm. I would like to see more events that talk about not just putting a female founder on the stage and saying, wow, what have you done to overcome all these hardships, but instead reverse the conversation and say, here's, here's a, or how our community is stepping up to help you because mm -hmm. we know you have additional adversity against you, right? I'd love to see that conversation reversed. I've seen it done elsewhere. I would like 
to not be, you know, on stage with just a few other female solo founders, right? Um, trying to teach an entire ecosystem about how I've had to dance and you know, tap dance around things and jump through hoops. But, I love to hear my my ecosystem well, tell me. And let's talk about that. Like, what, yeah. what are the hoops that that you have to jump through that that male founders don't have to, just so we can educate people about? Yeah, how unfair it is. Um, I mean, access to funding is yeah. is kind of the first one. So if we just look at the statistic, because uh, mm. I was born Hispanic and mm. female and decided to be a solo founder, I have access to 0.6 percent of funding. I mm. mean, that's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't matter how good I am. That's just my mm-hmm. that's my luck of the draw. Why? I don't know. I didn't create it. Um, super happy to be female Hispanic and solo founder. <laughs> um, you know, not so proud that, you know, others want to put me in a box because of that. So I think looking for our ecosystem to say, hey, we know that that's something you didn't ask to be part of, but here's how we're going to change it, right? Mm-hmm. Or here's what we can do, or here's how we can help you not feel so isolated and lonely or have sometimes, I mean, there's days I'm not going to lie. I really am frustrated, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's just not fair. But it's not going to stop me. It hasn't yet. So I have a question kind of on that, because obviously um, the disproportionate nature of funding in climate tech is absurd, like absurd. (laughs) But you are a different kind of climate tech than a lot of of what you think about. Like you're not battery, you're not EV, that you're buildings, but you're also like much more traditional in a lot of ways. How does that resonate with funders? How does that resonate um, with the audience that you talk to? And do you focus on climate tech focused VCs? Like, do you have a, do you cast a wider net? That isn't, I think it's the first time um, someone's asked me the question in such a great way and broken it down to where, let, let me kind of just reply to each of those questions. So absolutely we are more traditional, so we can't approach VCs with, hey, we have a new sexy technology, right? Um, We have a very good business model and a very logical solution that's going to appeal to a certain type of investor. Mm -hmm. We've luckily found those. Uh, Second thing, um, we resonate with property uh, technology-focused VCs, climate tech as well. But again, they need to be more about a fantastic business model um, than about a new sexy technology, right? Um, and then, yeah, I have to approach it with the giant elephant in the room that it's like, yes, I am a solo founder. Yes, I happen to identify as female, right? Yes, mm-hmm. I am Hispanic. So I, I look for VCs that I can have that tough conversation with right away and up front, and I watch how they react to it. And if mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable, the relationship's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And if they're, you know, kind of lean into it or like, that's not a problem. So I see you as another human. It's like, great, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a as a founder, you've got to break up all of the different facets of how your company could appeal to investment and kind of tackle it, you know, with each facet being its own strategy, right? Well, I'm fascinated by the difference between like innovation and invention and that like spectrum of are you just tweaking something yeah. perfectly? ordinary and making it have a climate component or are you inventing something that will yeah. change the way we work and i also just struggle to the point that i sometimes don't like to talk about it about how it does not matter who you are it does not matter the color of your anything like i try to just focus on the words that i'm saying yeah. and when people don't uh like my brain shuts down a little mm-hmm. bit and i i know we need to talk about that more and we need to talk about how absolutely ridiculous that is but you are a rock star. And I think both you and the words that you are saying and the technology that you are putting forward is amazing. 
So I think we're we're coming up on time. My last kind mm-hmm. of incentive question, since this is a really hot topic right now, natural gas. Like in climate news today, um, the federal administration has been talking about natural gas stoves, mm-hmm. right? And that there's studies coming out saying that this is um, maybe not healthy. And when you think about it, yeah, if you live in a small apartment like I do and you have a natural gas stove and you are like basically inhaling the fumes from that, probably not the healthiest thing in the world. And there's science to back it up. I know that that was always a contentious Mm -hmm. topic for cities and there are more and more incentives, but also more policies. So in your kind of like national, national expertise and overview of everything that's going on, what do you see going on there? Do you have predictions for the future? Yeah. For natural gas. Um, all I can do is look at, you know, historicals and perhaps that'll give uh, shed some light on my on predictions. Right. Natural gas. It is the smallest sliver of incentive, mm. uh, you know, category in our database, um, you know, against water conservation, energy efficiency, renewables, electric vehicles and so much more. Right. I mean, just a tiny, tiny sliver. And it depends if you're in a deregulated market or regulated. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the the amount of incentives available in more competitive markets, higher amount of incentives. It is a way to attract a basis of new, uh, you know, pay- bill payers, right? Mm. Um, and as far as natural gas promotions within real estate, I mostly see them like with boilers or larger pieces of equipment. We're seeing them less and less at the stove top level, right? Um, but it's going to be mostly in larger pieces of equipment. They pay out pretty substantial, so they're incredibly lucrative. Um, but substantial amounts of efficiency need to be occurring as well. So um, I hope that that trend continues. Uh, honestly, on the larger equipment front, I don't have much of an opinion on the smaller equipment, mm-hmm. but would love to see you know any sort of conservation for energy or water or gas happen, you know, as a as a trend going forward. The electrification of everything is a is a mm-hmm. pretty solid trend, right? So like yeah. I think we're going to see that moving forward. Um but at the same time I know just from a regulatory perspective it's very hard to take technology that is in people's homes away. Mm-hmm. And so after that study came out there was a very big push to be like no, we're not actually coming to take your stoves, right? Like it's more about as we think about new building code, as we think about new construction, as you think about what we're putting in new things. And then also, like, what does our natural gas infrastructure look like? We saw during the winter freeze here that it's not infallible. We saw that during the most recent little yeah. mini freeze. <laughs> like, there were there were still issues. And then you saw that nationwide that there's still things. So I think that's really interesting to me because I was personally on the receiving end of people like, no, my friends are like, Lara, what are you, you're talking about natural gas. She's like, but I love my stove. Like the stove, like I love my children and I love my stove. Like it was on that level of just personal visceral reaction. And and I was like, well, think about it. And they're like, do you eat my cooking? I'm like, yes. Like, you don't touch the stove. (laughs) My wife would say the same thing. So I understand. So um, I guess as we wrap it up, when we think about the audience that's listening here today, what is something they could do to support you? Yeah, I think um, come to visit our website, incentivefine.com. Look, everyone has a home improvement project going on. Um, Everyone, you know, is in some way, shape or form tied to the overall real estate market. Share the word because we all want to live in healthy homes. We want to work in healthy offices. Um, And we don't want to have, you know, exorbitant amount of, 
you know, monthly bills when it comes to electric, water, gas, because it let's be honest, it's all going to come down to the everyday folks paying that, right? Forking out the bills for it. So let's just green real estate is going to start a lot of the times at home, um, as well as spreading the word to wherever you office. So that would be my advice. Good. And and if uh, people want to connect with you personally, where should they find you? Oh, so I'm not, uh, you know, big social media. I've been told to to be more active on it. But LinkedIn, I will okay. say I at least have that down. So LinkedIn is definitely where to find me. Okay. Um, do you have any last thoughts you want to leave our audience with? I don't know. <laughs> well, I want to know when your next phase, the the city resilient sustainability package comes out. Oh, yeah. I will share that with everyone that I used to work with because I think that's just um, the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I'm um, so excited to have you on today and you now appreciate it. Appreciate all that you do. Oh, well, yeah. thanks for having me. Y'all yeah. Thank appreciate you. it.